Uh, we, <coughs> we can begin our service by singing from Psalm 107 in the Scottish Psalter on verses 1 to 9. Praise God, for he is good, for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so, whom he from the enemy's hand did free. Verses 1 to 9.
shall we pray? Lord, we realize that all of us are on a journey. As these words have been, we've been singing uh, describe a journey taken by some. Uh, so all of us are, in one way or another, traveling. Even this day itself is a reminder of that. As we come to a final day of a year, and as an opportunity for us to as it were, look back and look ahead. Although it's always important, <coughs> whenever we're looking back or looking ahead, uh, that we also look up. And we thank you that we can look up to yourself, the, the great God, the eternal one, but also the one who is the father of your people and the uh, God of all comfort, the God of all grace. <coughs> the merciful God we pray that we would be uh, conscious that as the psalmist reminds us that in our lives if we are your people uh, that goodness and mercy follows us all our days and even as the imagery of that psalm reminds us uh, you go ahead of those who trust in you and a reminder that uh, wherever they go, you've been there before them. And help us, Lord, to uh, be thankful that is the case, that we can uh, look to you as we travel individually and as we travel as families, as we travel in churches and as whatever way it is that we are um, engaged in. We just pray, Lord, that we would be thankful that we travel uh, within your providence uh, that we never find ourselves outside of that and therefore it tells us that you know where we are as Job himself said you knew the way that he took and in his uh, particular circumstances uh, encouraged him to know that after you had tried him he would come forth as gold. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you as we start uh, our service. And there is a sense as well in which a service is a journey. Because uh, we have come here to meet you. And you have come here uh, to meet with us. And we pray that as we go through the service uh, we would be conscious that our souls are on a journey that we are either <coughs> traveling with you uh, through the service or our, our minds are somewhere else but help us Lord to be focused uh, on you uh, the living God as we have our service here together we pray you bless every home connected to the congregation every family you know the circumstances of each of them and we just pray Lord that you would remember all of them and speak to them all today and speak in their hearts 
And we just pray, Lord, that you would um, draw near. Uh, you're able to do that in ways that we cannot do. You can draw near to us in our souls. And we pray that would be the case for everyone uh, connected to the congregation. <coughs> Remember our nation at this time. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would just see us in our spiritual need. Many hoped at this time last year that 2023 would be a good year spiritually and maybe a revival or something would come, but that hasn't happened. And uh, we have the same aspirations for next year. But we do pray, Lord, that you would remember our nation, and not just our nation, but all nations of the world. You are the God of the whole earth, and we just ask that you would in mercy come with gospel power and that our crumbling society uh, would be restored, renewed uh, through the gospel. So Lord we pray that you would um, just remember us as nations of the world and Jesus has been exalted, he's the prince of the kings of the earth and we pray that his name would be honoured uh, throughout the world in the coming year. We pray to <coughs> that you remember our governments and guide them in all that they have to do. And we realise that life is complex. And we just pray that you give wisdom where that is required. And you teach them all that righteousness exalts a nation. So, Lord, we pray for the world that you would bless it in the coming year. We remember the places where there's real uh, uh, terrible things taking place, wars and famines and the consequences of natural disasters. And uh, we hear about so many that there's a danger that we, we become immune to it all. But we pray, Lord, that you would uh, remember the world in all its need and bless them all and in a sense of giving the gospel and also temporal helps that they require. All these things we see are reminders to us that we live in a sinful world, the effects of sin in the natural order. But we thank you too that as Jesus said to us, that all these things, when we see them, we have to lift up our heads because they are the birth pangs of a new world that's yet to come. And we thank you, Lord, for the, the glory that's promised uh, to your people. And we just pray that you would encourage us by that as we think about it later on. So be with us in our service. Remember... Any who are not able to be here today because of ill health, we pray you bless them and help them and any treatment they are getting. So bless us, Lord, and keep us and be with us. For your own name's sake. Amen. I want to speak to the children just now. Um, I want to tell you about what happened in a classroom. And this classroom was in, our, in Northern Ireland 
and uh, I don't know if you've heard about it before, but it's something that happened in a classroom. I happened 164 years ago on Friday the 10th of June. And in this particular school, maybe it was a habit at the time, I don't know, but all the boys, their classroom was downstairs and all the girls met upstairs. The year was uh, 1859 and you may not know this but uh, the adults, the grown-ups should know this that 1859 was the last year there was a revival that covered the whole of Great Britain and the revival didn't just affect grown-ups it also affected children and it even affected them in their classroom and I just want you to try and imagine what happened in this classroom happening in your classroom and I'm just going to tell you about it. Uh, one of the boys in the classroom was very upset and the teacher <coughs> realized what the problem was and the problem was not they couldn't understand uh, the classroom and what the teacher was telling him the problem that he had was what he felt inside and his concern that made him so upset was that he realized he was a sinner and lots of people in the community were realizing that at the same time and this little boy he realized he was a sinner and he was so upset in the classroom and the teacher knew why he was upset so the teacher told him he would need to go home and he asked another boy to take him home and he and uh, the two boys on the way home they went into a they saw an empty farmhouse and they went into it and they went into it to pray and we're talking about nine-year-olds or ten-year-olds and he went into it to pray and as he prayed the boy that had been very upset he suddenly realized he was converted and that he now believed in Jesus and the boy that was with him had already believed in Jesus so here were the two of them they were praying and at that moment he just realized that he was now converted a child of God so the two boys decided instead of going home they would go back to the classroom and they went back to the classroom and the boys said to the teacher because I suppose the teacher was surprised that he had come back and the boy said to the teacher oh sir I am so happy I have the Lord Jesus 
in my heart. Wasn't that incredible? The little boy said to the teacher, Oh sir, I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. But that wasn't the end of the story. As the rest of the boys in the classroom, as they saw this, they began to uh, slip out one by one. And the teacher wondered, where are they all gone? And he looked out the window, and there they were in the playground. And uh, a lot of them were on their knees, praying to God for mercy. And at the same time, the girls who were in the upper the classroom up above, same thing happened to them. So there they are in this classroom in Coleraine in Ireland on Friday, 10th of June, 1859. There were lots of boys and girls on their knees asking God to have mercy on them. That was an amazing thing to happen in a schoolroom, wasn't it? And it wasn't the only time, because in that revival there's lots of um, stories of how boys and girls came to know Jesus and to serve him even when they were in primary school. So I want you all just to remember that. Uh, we can now sing Psalm 121. Um, I to the hills will lift mine eyes, from whence doth come my need.
Uh, we can read from the Old Testament in the book of Psalms and Psalm 84. Uh, to the choir master, according to the Gatis, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Selah means, if you don't know, Selah means pay attention. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And may God bless that reading. We'll now sing from Psalm 143 in the Scottish Psalter and the second version at verse 6 to verse 12. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone, for thou wilt understand all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee, as thirsty ground requires, with rain refreshed to be. Verses 6 to 12.
Uh, we can uh, turn back to the psalm we read, Psalm 84. And I'd like us to think together about verses 5 to 7. Uh, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. As we can um, uh, see from the heading, um, this psalm is connected to the sons of Korah. We may wonder who the sons of Korah were, but the, they were uh, one section of the Levites. And their particular function in the activities of the temple uh, was to be uh, doorkeepers. And this particular Levite uh, who wrote this psalm He's in great distress because he's not able to be in Jerusalem to work as a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. And that's why he says in verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwells in tents of wickedness. Uh, sometimes uh, verse 10 is quoted as if the man was saying it is better to be doing something very small than to be doing nothing. But uh, a doorkeeper in the temple at Jerusalem was not engaged in any small activity. He was, uh, he was, uh, the doorkeepers were the temple guards. It was their task uh, to keep out anybody that tried to get in who shouldn't have been going in. And no doubt many people tried that. And uh, Sansa Cora, it was their task to ensure that the only ones that got in were the ones that should have got in. But anyway, this particular Levite, he can't get to the city of Jerusalem uh, to do his job and as you can see in verse uh, 10 he is somewhere surrounded by what he calls those who dwell in tents of wickedness so what does he do in his circumstances where God in his providence has made him live somewhere where he couldn't get into the temple to worship. And what he did is he thought about what was happening in the temple when the worship was taking place. Although he couldn't be there, we can see in verses 1 to 4, he's actually thinking about what's going on there. And of course things were on in the temple every day and therefore it wasn't too difficult for him to think about what was happening there. So in verses 1 to 4 he thinks about 
what's going on in the temple uses his imagination just to help himself in his isolation and then in verses 5 to 7 he thinks about those who are traveling to worship and of course since there was worship going on every day there were people traveling every day so in verses 5 to 7 he thinks about those who are making this journey and verses um, 8 down in 9 he is thinking about the high priest who was leading the worship in the temple when he says "Look, our, behold our shield O God look on the face of your anointed well the anointed here in the psalm is the high priest and I'm sure he was very glad that people prayed for him and here's this Levite this doorkeeper who can't be there but anyway he thinks about the high priest as he leads the worship and then in verses 11 and 12 it's his conclusion what we might say of his um, meditation of what he should be thinking as he dwells in this place wherever he happened it was away from the temple he says well God's a sign and shield and even though I can't get to the temple God can get to me where I am so that's a bit of an outline of this uh, well known psalm and as I'm sure we know verses 5 to 7 which describe the travellers going to the, t to the temple for their worship services that has often been used within the Bible and out with the Bible as a picture of what happens in life they are travelling to meet with God on whatever day of the week it happened to be the psalmist had in mind they are travelling to meet with God but it's a picture of all of us because we are travelling to meet with God and I want us to think about that today as with uh, any journey there's a start and there's a continuation and there's an arrival and these are the three points I want us to consider uh, the commencement the continuation and then the climax seeing God at the end of the journey the journey that have in mind is the Christian journey and of course that picture has um, gripped people in lots of different ways I mean uh, the, probably the best known example of, of uh, the Christian life as a journey is Pilgrim's Progress as uh, Christian travels from the city of destruction uh, to the celestial city two polar opposites aren't they the city of destruction and the celestial city but as Banyan tells us in that well known um, picture of the Christian life and as the Bible tells us repeatedly it's very important to start the journey 
Because we're not automatically in this journey, the journey of the Christian life. There has to be a time, a moment, when we actually start it. Now, of course, the, the people who go on this journey, they come from a variety of backgrounds, don't they? They are, they could be, for example, brought up in the church. And they um, have had this, they've been surrounded, immersed, we might say, in the Bible's uh, requirements since they were very young. And that's just one set of people. But even though they've been immersed in the Bible's requirements, they're not automatically on the journey. And there are others who have never heard of the Bible. They've got no idea. I mean, that's the society that we live in. I mean, our, I mean my grandfather, of course, he's alive today, he'd be a very, very old man, but he, when he lived, he lived in a society where the Bible was everywhere. And when he went to school, he heard about the Bible and lived, grew up as an adult. The Bible dominated life. It's only a hundred years ago. But it's a very different world from today. We're in a world where the vast majority of people and the, those who join the Christian journey, they don't start it from a life that had been previously immersed in the Bible. They were unaware of it, hadn't a clue about any of it. The only awareness they may have had of Jesus would be somehow or other he's connected to Christmas. So there's a wide diversity of people that their background is before they start this journey. There's not only the background of their environment, there's also their ages. I mean some start this journey when they're very young. They get on to what Jesus calls the narrow way when they're children. And there's lots of records from, uh, from church history of very young children becoming followers of Jesus. I mean, there's a, a book by, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you read it, but it's rather complex, but there is, there is a book by Jonathan Edwards which he called A Narrative of Surprising Conversions. And if I remember correctly, one of the surprising conversions is of a four-year-old. And he proceeds to analyze it and all that. But, but anyway, it was a child. Started on the journey. I think her name was Phoebe. But others, they, and this, this can include people who've been brought up in a church. Others don't come on to the pathway until they're very old. And they may have spent decades within a church environment and never started on the journey. 
people come into different circumstances, different ages, different degrees of intelligence, sometimes very clever people come onto it, whose academic competence is far above the average. At other times, people whose abilities on that level are not the same. And yet they both start this journey. And I'm sure we can all think of different other ways in which there's these varieties. But having said there's varieties, there's also similarities. And it doesn't matter who they are, whether they are uh, young or old, whether they're religious or irreligious, whether they're highly intelligent or otherwise, they all have to come to this point where they become aware that they are sinners. And that can come, that awareness can happen in all kinds of ways. But they just become aware of it. And they might not realize what's happening at the time. But what's happening to them is they're being convicted by God. Their sins are being shown to them. And, they, and the sins that are being shown to them may all be internal. There may be, may be nothing at all outwardly. But they're, they're, they're showing things in their hearts. And they sense a longing they want to be converted some or other they hear the gospel and they realize that the gospel fits them as they have this sense of there's something wrong inside of me and they discover the gospel the message about Jesus and what he said and primarily what he did on the cross it just becomes alive to them and not only is their mind uh, uh, curious not only is their mind become more instructed about Jesus but they find in their hearts real affection for him and they start to realize that they love him and that they want to follow him and for some of them this may happen with all within 10 minutes for others it might take a bit longer but they have this um, sense that they are being called as it, by God to start this journey of life the Christian life and therefore they repent of their sins and for some of them it's much more intense than others but the intensity doesn't matter it's the fact that they do it that they repent of their sins and they trust in Jesus and that's when they start this journey and of course the obvious question that comes to all of us whatever our age is 
the obvious question that comes to all of us is has it happened to us? when we're talking about journeys we have to remember what Jesus said that there's two alternative journeys as he put it there is the broad road on which people can um, just walk along drift as it were drift with a crowd but sadly it ends in a lost eternity or there's the narrow way which by description by definition indicates it's more difficult because there's certain things you have to go through the straight gate as Jesus put it and there's certain things that the gate won't let you take with you you have to leave them behind but that happens when someone repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus and they start on this journey and as I say the question is have we started it? there's no other way to start it we have to repent of our sins and trust in Christ but then after that there is a continuation and the psalmist says some things about it here he doesn't say everything but he says some things about it and the continuation he says they are given strength for the journey blessed are those whose strength is in you that's in verse 5 and then they go from strength to strength that's in verse 7 and describing it as strength to strength means that there's strength all the way and on the journey they may find themselves a bit weak in themselves and that's normal but the reality is there's strength to strength all the way strength we might say for 10 to 1 this moment then strength for 5 to 1 and 1 o'clock never without strength I mean Paul says when we were without strength Christ died for the ungodly indicating that those before they believed had no strength but having believed they have strength and that strength of course is the Holy Spirit Also, things happen at conversion that it, and they're, they're brought into the family of God for a start and they're regarded as his children but that's a kind of external thing isn't it where our status has changed but there's changes within as well and the biggest change within after we're born again is that the Holy Spirit is our constant source of power within our souls and he 
never leaves. Sometimes those on a journey think he's left, but he never leaves. And they have this power. It's always there. Power to deal with sin, power to deal with temptations. His power. As Jesus reminded the disciples, he would be with them forever. The helper. Translated sometimes as a comforter, but the basic meaning of the word is the helper. And when you want someone to help you, you want them to have power, don't you? Strength. Well, who's got more power than the Holy Spirit? And he's just there all the way from the start of the journey right to the end, constantly. But he also points out the psalmist that there something happens in their hearts. In whose heart are the highways to Zion? In other words, they love certain features that bring them close to Zion. No doubt in a literal sense, you could go to Zion from the north, south, east or west. There would be highways in every direction. But the, spiritually, if you and I are on this journey to Zion, there are features of the traveling that bring Zion, as it were, to us and us closer to Zion. There's highways. And I think maybe it's a suggestion I should say these um, highways of Zion they're the means of grace reading the Bible praying fellowship church services whole range of things they all got this in common they're on the way to Zion aren't they what's the point of reading the Bible if we don't read it as something that's taking us to Zion what's the point of praying if it's not connected to taking us to Zion and these travelers is in their heart and of course the means of grace should be in our hearts they're how the very word means of grace tells us that it's how grace comes to us it just flows through these divine pathways divine roots and they're full of heavenly encouragement we are in a means of grace at the moment we're in a worship service God is here and he's here to give and we should be here to take to receive And then he mentions another feature of their journey. In addition to having strength, 
and in addition to have, uh, have in their hearts these highways they also come to what's called the Valley of Baca no one has ever discovered whether or not there's a literal Valley of Baca or whether it's just a picture valley that the man has put into his psalm but the basic meaning of Baca is weeping the valley of weeping and scholars tell us that the, what would have made it such a desolate place in a literal sense is because it would be a desert place and that's not surprising in the Middle East is it and uh, they have to go through this valley as they make their way to Zion and they have to go through this valley many times because this world as has often been said is a veil of tears but as they come to the valley well I suppose it would have been possible for them just to sit down and um, or even give up go back from where they came from but that's not what the psalmist says they do is it as they come into this place where there's desolation and where there's there doesn't seem to be anything within view that can help them what do they do well in verse 6 they have to dig for water it's a desert place and they have to make this valley of Baca into a place of springs and they have to do it by digging I mean that's obviously an, that's been known ever since the start of the human race that if we want water we have to dig for it and they dig for these this source of help as they um, travel and something strange happens as they dig they make these holes as it were and rain suddenly appears and fills them and turns them into pools so the place that seems so dry and arid because they had dug the holes rain came and filled them what kind of places can we dig for or what should we dig for or where should we dig well we could dig shall we put it this way into the attributes of God just get a list of them and get out some kind of implement of probing them and God doesn't mind being probed God wants us to probe him and he tells us all these details about himself so that we can probe them that he's holy and that he's love and that he's merciful and that he's righteous all these things and we are to dig or we can go into the Bible in general and just read it and reading the Bible is a form of digging 
or we can look at the promises of God I mean they're essential aren't they just think of the promises of God I mean Spurgeon even wrote this morning and evening so that Christians could think about a promise of God every morning and every evening or we can dig into the character of Christ the man of sorrows when we're in the valley of Baca what better character is there to explore than the man of sorrows and as we do that strangely water comes from above and fills these pools And uh, I think that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. But there's only pools because the travelers dug them. They had to dig them before the water came. And having dug them, the place becomes saturated. God can provide in the valley as this psalmist tells us and then there's the end of the journey they go from strength to strength each one appears before God in Zion a wonderful destination At the end of the journey, there's a hymn somewhere that says, At the end of the journey is God. And that's true. Heaven is all about God. God, this fountain of living waters. The God who can satisfy our souls. You ever thought how big your soul is? Try and go home and just measure your soul. Your soul at this moment is capable of thinking about the whole world. And we need someone to satisfy our minds, our emotions, our choices. God. And the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, whatever that involves. God will be there. The Father's house. The place of many mansions. Each room in the Father's house, as Jesus indicates by that illustration, shaped by him to fit the needs of whoever will be in each room. And there, and it's a very strange thing to read about it in the pictures of heaven in the Bible, but there, at the end of the journey, the God who has collected all the tears of his people and kept them in his bottle. He is going to wipe away all their tears. And the way it's phrased is not wiping them all away in one, as it were, brush of his hand. But he wipes them away individually. 
each tear as it were the God of all grace on that day when we arrive in his dwelling place he will personally and carefully and gently deal with every tear that has been shed by any of them as they travelled on the journey from this world to heaven as we close where are we on the journey what journey are we on and if we are and I'm sure we are at this moment in the valley of Baker we have to dig and dig at the appropriate wells and find that even in them the rain can come from heaven and fill it with pools and eventually on a great and wonderful day we'll reach the Jordan and cross over it and find ourselves in the celestial city <coughs> shall we pray Lord we give you thanks that you are the guide you've taken millions already to heaven billions and even today all over the world although they're not known to us millions are traveling on this journey if some of us are not on it we pray Lord that you will work in their hearts and bring them to start the journey and if we're on the journey we give you thanks for the strength you provide and for the highways in which grace can be found and for the provision you have made for when the road gets rough and we thank you too for the end of the journey when we'll be in Zion with the living God Lord help us as we come to the end of this year to reflect on where we've been where we are and where we're going so do that Lord for your own name's sake Amen we'll sing from Psalm 84 in the Scottish Psalter and we'll sing verses 4 to 7 Blessed are they in thy house that dwell, they ever give thee praise. Blessed is the man whose strength thou art, in whose heart are thy ways. Four to seven.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.